So I'm hoping that maybe you've seen some of these commercials uh, on TV recently, especially since we've been talking about it here this last week as we've been talking about this idea of how Jesus gets us and, and understands us. And this series called He Gets Us and in a lot of ways is based off of this marketing campaign that's being done all over the country, a $100 million marketing campaign that has been funded by uh, some reputable Christian organizations and churches to get this idea that Jesus understands us and is relevant to us and, and is walking with us to get that idea out there. Um, the relevance of Jesus to our lives because you know the, the way that people think about Jesus the way that people think about Jesus is uh, usually related to the way that they think about his followers and sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's not such a good thing and, uh, and the, the thing is though that measuring stick is something that's used for someone who's, who's on a journey of faith or even beginning a journey of faith and the way that people think about Jesus and, uh, has changed in the last 30 to 50 years in terms of it, him being this, maybe this historical figure that has no relevance to our lives and that couldn't be further from the truth. And so this idea of, of getting across that Jesus uh, is, is for us, that he's for everyone, that he has answers to life's most pressing problems, to look at Jesus on an individual and personal level because that's how he is with us and that's how we should be with him. That's an important thing. And that's, that's a thing that I believe is missing from a lot of the, the message of Jesus that's maybe not getting out there to people today. And an understanding of his relevance to our lives. And so, you know, Jesus came to show, not just tell. And if you match his words to his actions, you, you really might be surprised at what you'll find. Because whatever you are experiencing, whatever you're going through, Jesus faced it. He faced it too. He understands us. He, he gets us. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we dive into your word now, as your Holy Spirit continues to move through this place, God, I'm thankful for what you've already done, for how you prepared our hearts. And Lord, I pray that as, as we look at your word now, God, I pray that you would give favor to the reading of your word. Lord, that you would show each and every one of us something that maybe we need to see individually. Lord, that you would speak right to us in how we need to hear from you today and that we can walk out of here with something that we can use as we are able to be the church. And Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, if there's someone watching online that's maybe just on this journey of faith and trying to discover you, Lord, I pray that they would understand how much you understand us and that you're for us and that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this, uh, this message today, I'm, we're going to kind of entitle it, Feeling Angry? Jesus did too. <laughs> we live in a world of outrage. We live in a world and a society that is fueled in many ways by outrage. It's a growing culture of it. You can't watch a political ad without knowing that I'm right and seeing that. And the, you know, by contrast though, Jesus, he, he didn't deal with things with outrage. He, he sure was justified in, you know, anger because of anger and the mischaracterization of those that, that hated him and talked poorly about him and, and all of those things. But his response to a world that was full of outrage and anger and rejection was love and kindness. That's hard to do in a society that thrives on outrage. 
There's a book that was written by an author named Ed Stetzer. It's called Christians in the Age of Outrage. How to bring our best when the world is at its worst. Because of the obvious real outrage that's shown in the world today by so many people, so many groups, including Christians. And it's crazy because you think of a, of a book that's titled that and you're thinking, man, isn't it nuts that you can actually understand why a book was written titled that today? It's like when you walk into a restaurant or a store and you see this sign that you're like, I wonder what happened that made them make that sign. I don't think we're too far from understanding why a book like this was written. But he writes that outrage is all around and so we have to decide how we are going to walk through it. And here's a quote from, from him. He says, we're living in a day and this is indeed our moment when we need to live like Christ as gospel Christians in the middle of shouting, anger, and hatred. You know, we get outraged when we feel rejected by others. But rejection is a part of life. Rejection is a part of life. Um, J.K. Rowling was actually rejected by 12 different publishers with the first book in the Harry Potter series. 12 different publishers said no. When Star Wars was being released in 1977, literally every single uh, movie studio except one said, no, I don't, I don't feel like doing this. 20th Century Fox took a risk and ended up distributing the biggest movie in the history of movies at the time. But you know, we get outraged when people also hold beliefs and and do things that we don't agree with or disgust us and we react and respond with outrage and Jesus shows us a better way Jesus shows us a better way because he never responded that way and quite frankly the way in which he responded was outrageous because instead of a knee-jerk reaction to to people or this disgusted perspective towards people that don't agree with us which we feel on both sides of the aisle here. Instead, we see trust, we see love. We see maturity in Christ. And that's a word I want you to keep in the back of your head as we're, as we're looking at, at this today. See, Christ can help us to respond to outrage in the right way. We've all felt the pain of rejection. We've all been rejected in some way, shape, or form. But the pain of rejection is solved by trust, not outrage. When we feel rejection, that, that's solved by trust, not outrage. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis 37 for a few minutes. And we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph. Um, and Joseph was a guy that knew rejection. He knew rejection to the nth degree. He was the favored son of Jacob. And he had brothers who knew that as well. And they were not happy about that. His brothers despised him. And if you've not heard his story before, I would encourage you, as uh, a little bit of homework after this, to read Genesis 37 through 50. It's an incredible story. It's a lot of scripture, but it's an incredible story. And so what did his brothers do? They despised him. They, they rejected him. They hated him. Let's look at what they did here. We're in Genesis 37, verse 17 through 28. Gonna read a, a good chunk of this, but I think you need to see all of these things says this. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. 
Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, because that's better. Um, I mean, I guess they're not killing him. Reuben said, this is to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into a cistern. The cistern was empty. (laughs) Good thing. Um, There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, after all, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So much more kind than killing him. Joseph, he was rejected. He was abandoned. He was abused by his family. More than once, he went through this progression in his life of being rejected and and abandoned and abused. In fact, you can summarize his life in many ways like this. Good news, bad news, right? Good news, his father loved him. That's great. Bad news, his brothers hated him. Good news, his father gave him a special coat. Bad news, his brothers sold him into slavery. Good news, he, he gains favor with Potiphar which is someone that he ended up, we'll call it, working for. Um, Bad news, Potiphar's uh, wife ends up trying to seduce him. So, good news, while he's in jail, he's blessed. God blesses him while he's in jail. Bad news, he was forgotten in jail. They just kind of forget about him. But good news, at the end, he was finally redeemed and reunited with his family. And this is a really short and sweet um, (laughs) Cliff Notes version of his story. But again and again, he faces rejection. And we see this in examples throughout Scripture of people who go through rejection and go through being being abused and, and, and pushed away. But we see how Joseph reacts to this. We know through all the pain of rejection, because Joseph, he was no ordinary Joe. He never complained about the rejection that he was facing. He never complained about it. We never see an account of him complaining about that, but we can identify with the pain of that rejection. Not to this level, I would think, but you know what? In your own seasons of pain, I know how we feel, and the Bible understands how we feel, and God knows how we feel, because in those seasons of pain and rejection, you need to know this one truth, and that is this. You are not alone. You are not alone. Jesus sees. Jesus knows what you're going through. He cares. He's been there. Through the story of Joseph, as you'll read, God was with him through the entire thing, and he leaned into that and knew that and understood that, And that sustained him and helped him and pushed him through. But you know what? Because Jesus has suffered, because he's been through the pain of rejection and abandonment, he offers comfort that is rooted in compassion and understanding for where we are. He's been there for others in the past, as we see in examples of scripture, and probably people that you know. 
and maybe even circumstances that you've been through. And he is faithful. And he continues to be faithful. He was faithful then. He is faithful today. And he will continue to be faithful in the future because he gets us. Because he understands us. And it may not seem like it's in your timing or in the way that, that you want it to go. But you better believe that God is faithful in all things. You know, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah wrote about how he would be mistreated and how he would be abused and rejected for us. We usually read verses, these verses you'll see around Easter time in Isaiah 53, three through six. Look at what this says about Jesus, that he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has laid it on him. He understands because he's been there. And if you think that God doesn't understand, if you think that Jesus doesn't understand where you are and what you're going through, let me just tell you in a loving way, you are sorely mistaken. Because he understands, he has been there, he feels deeply for you. He cares so much for you than, than you even understand. He went through it all for you, to redeem you. And that's a thing to celebrate. But that's also a thing that should drive us because of love, because he did it because of love, not Outrage. See, the purpose for redemption is shown in love, not in outrage. The purpose for redemption is shown in love, not in outrage. We love the most quoted verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. But I want to add a verse to that. I want to add the next verse, 17, because generally we don't keep going. And I want you to see how this applies to this exact thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the best news. That's the gospel. That's the good news all in one verse, the connection verse of the Bible. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See the full-blown context of all of that. Through his love, he gave us our lifeline. His death, burial, and resurrection, it gives us hope. It gives us assurance. But this verse actually gives us amazing news. It gives us good news because it is contrasted from the verses that come after it. Look at the verses that come after it here in 18 through 20. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. How true that is. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. I think we can all relate to that in so many ways. See, when we refuse to believe in Jesus, we are choosing to reject him. 
But Jesus doesn't leave us in that state. Even if we choose to reject him, he's not just leaving us there hanging. He doesn't just say, well, bye, peace out. We shouldn't leave others there either. And a lot of times that's what we do. People reject us, people get mad, people get outraged, and instead we react with outrage back. And that does the exact thing. We're committing the exact sin in which we're upset about being done to us. We should view our unbelieving friends and neighbors as capable and able of accepting the Lord and not just going, well, they've rejected God, they've rejected Jesus, they've rejected my Christian values and faith, so shun, right? That's how we end up acting and we react with outrage instead of remembering that God, our Lord and Savior, if we react with love and we react with forgiveness and we model that well, that that can be an example and that can be an inroads to someone coming to know Jesus. See, that's the good news. Jesus came, he faced rejection for us and offers us life in him. Think about what he did for us. If he treated us in sometimes the way that we treat others when they reject things, I feel like I've said this one a lot lately, but it bears repeating. When we get surprised that unbelievers act like unbelievers, which we shouldn't be, when unbelievers act like unbelievers, well, how dare you? They don't believe. Right? The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five through seven, greatest sermon ever preached, centers on, on Jesus' words and, and what he's really saying, the heart behind these words I want you to really listen and understand this. Matthew 5, look at what he says in verse 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill them. And so what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Because this sermon is not just another list of rules and regulations that many times Christianity is looked at as. It's a list of do's and do nots. And that's so the wrong way to look at at walking with the Lord as just a list of do's and do nots. That was never God's intent. That was never Jesus' intent. It's not just another list of rules. I want you to hear and see Jesus' heart for us. Look at the heart behind what he's saying in Matthew 5, 38 through 48. This is 10 verses. It's a lot, but I want you to hear the heart behind it in this world that is fueled by outrage, how we should respond. Listen to what he says. You've heard it said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, slap them back. No, that's not what he says. <laughs> Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, 
what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect. Therefore, as your father, as your heavenly father is perfect. Good luck with that last one. And that was Jesus' point. He was being a little bit sarcastic there, but at the same time, he was making a very clear point because Jesus calls his followers to do more than the bare minimum. He calls us to more than the bare minimum. And too often, we get lazy and we just do maybe the very bare minimum. And we were never called to just do the bare minimum. He calls his followers to a higher response than the minimum. And these are ideas that are driven by love for God. Not just as something that we should do, but the heart behind these ideas, it's rooted in our love for God. I mean, think about it. As he's going through these things, instead of an eye for an eye, turn the other cheek, right? Instead of giving up your shirt, go further and generously give your coat. Instead of doing the minimum, go to the second mile. He's not just saying, just follow this list of stuff and you're good because if that's all it was, we're talking about a works-based faith and that's not faith in Jesus because you'll never be able to do enough to earn your place in heaven. You'll never be able to do enough. However, the things that we do prove our faith. Instead of loving your neighbor and hating your enemies, right? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I promise your perspective is gonna change on exactly whatever it is that's putting a divide between you and others if you pray for them. That's not an easy thing to do. These things are not easy things to do. Not by any stretch. You'll be mature like your heavenly father, as it says here. We do these things because of the grace that we have received because of Christ. And you will have a distinctive testimony through these things. And when Jesus says be perfect in verse 48, yeah, he's being a little bit sarcastic, but at the same time, here's what he's really leaning toward is this idea of spiritual maturity, is this idea to strive for of spiritual maturity because we don't always respond in a mature way. See, righteousness seeks maturity, not outrage. If we are living right, if we are striving to live right, right living is a good way to see righteousness. We're gonna respond with maturity, not with outrage. How many times have you ever seen somebody react with outrage and been like, they're a pretty mature person? <laughs> Zero times. <laughs> Yet we've all done it, haven't we? We just react instead of respond. And, and I'm, I'm, I'll go as far as to say this. If, I've, I've rarely seen, if ever, never, a person, this is a good measuring stick, as we talked about at the beginning, the measuring stick of someone who is mature in their faith is not outrage. It's not. And if your response to things is outrage, then that's giving a pretty good measuring stick of where you are in your spiritual maturity or lack thereof. That may be hard to hear, but that's the truth. See, Jesus teaches that instead of being outraged when we're mistreated, instead, we should be like Jesus. We should respond with grace. We should respond with compassion. 
Now, it doesn't mean to allow abuse or neglect. If you think I'm just saying, so be a doormat in Jesus' name, that's not what I'm saying, and that's not what the Bible is saying either. We need to be wise, we need to make good decisions and not put ourselves in places that continue to be abused or anything along those lines. Absolutely. But to respond with compassion, to respond with love towards others, that is fueled by our love for God. And if we love God, we're gonna love the things that God loves. And what's God's favorite thing? People. And so we're gonna love the things that God loves. And God loves people more than anything. People that are unkind to us, God still loves them. As that verse said, it, it, he brings rain on the just and the unjust, on the righteous and the unrighteous. He shows compassion, which is unlike anything we see today. We don't see very much compassion today in our world. And Jesus showed us what that looks like when he taught in Matthew 5. The Sermon on the Mount is showing us what a life of spiritual maturity should look like and something to strive for. And no, you're not gonna get it right every time. None of us get it right every time. Absolutely. But it's what we should be striving for in terms of maturity and spiritual maturity. You know, in Luke 22, 47 through 53, we see Judas... He comes with the soldiers to arrest Jesus, right? And what does Peter do? If you know this story, how does Peter respond? He responds with compassion and love, does he? No, he doesn't. He pulls out his sword and goes after the soldier, right? And he's not a good shot, so he misses and gets his ear, you know? And what did Jesus do? Was he like, keep going? No, no, in fact, what did he do? He looked at Peter and he, and he rebuked him and he, he's like, stop, stop it. This is, no, this is not how we respond. Put your sword away, he says to Peter, and, and he picks up the ear and puts it back on the soldier's head. Was Peter justified in that reaction, humanly speaking? Yeah, I don't think any of us necessarily blame him for that. But at the same time, Jesus is like, no, this is not the right way to respond. That's an outrage response. And Jesus took that outrage response and used it as a testimony of love and compassion in an amazing way. In Matthew 25, 53, Jesus talks about how he could have called legions, 12 legions of angels to his aid, but he didn't. Instead, he submitted to the abuse. He submitted to the rejection and ultimately to the crucifixion for you and for me because he loved us and his response was out of love, not out of outrage. And if we're gonna make a difference in this world, church, we need to respond out of love, not outrage. I know it's easy to do that. I know it's easy to respond with outrage, especially when we feel rejected, especially when people don't agree with us or the other way around. But listen, Jesus looked beyond outrage. And you know what he looked to? To the Father's purpose in the pain because there was purpose from God in those moments of pain. And so my connection point for you today, the connection point for all of us, is to look beyond our outrage to the Father's purpose. This in many ways is a mindset, but it also has to do with where we are in our relationship with God in terms of our spiritual maturity and where we are in our relationship with him is in many ways a great measuring stick is this right here. To look beyond our outrage 
to the Father's purpose because there is a purpose in the pain. And I know that doesn't, I know that doesn't sit well with some of us. I know that statement, there is purpose in the pain. Yeah, that just sounds great. That looks great on a slide. That'll tweet really good. You know what I mean? I, listen, I get it. That doesn't sit well depending on where you are and what circumstance is going on in your life right now. But at the same time, that statement might sting. But listen to me. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. It doesn't mean that it's not true. You may be completely justified, humanly speaking, in the outrage that you feel in the situation that you're thinking through right now. But that does not mean that outrage is the answer. Hitting back never solves anything. And somebody says to me after the first hour, and it's so true, who gets the flag in a football game? Is it the, it's always the second guy. It's the guy that hits back. It's usually not the guy that should have got the flag on him. It's the guy that swings back. Hitting back never solves the issue. As believers, we are going to miss the purpose of Jesus in the situation if we hit back. We are not called to hit back. So let's strive for maturity. Let's do more than the bare minimum. Let's love people. Let's pray for those who outrage us, who go against us. Let's, let's see the purpose of the Father in the pain of the circumstance. And it may, be, it may take a long time to see that. It may not show up right away. It may not show up for years. It may not show up ever. At least not on this side of heaven. But let's remember when we're walking into those situations and those circumstances to look beyond our outrage to the Father's purpose because he gets us. He gets it. He gets right what you're going through. He hasn't forgot about you. He hasn't abandoned you. He gets it. Will you bow your heads with me? As we pray here together, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to, to just forget for a minute maybe the people around you or, or whatever. And I want you to really hone in on the situation that, that maybe the Holy Spirit's put on your heart, circumstance that you're thinking about the thing that maybe God is hitting you right between the eyes with right now. And I want you to ask him as you pray. And I would ask you to just pray right now. Spend, spend a moment with the Lord. And ask him, God, what do you want to show me in this situation? God, what do you want to show me in this situation? I, I feel abandoned. I feel rejected. I feel pushed to the side. I've, whatever that is. I feel spit on. I feel stepped on. God, what, what do you want to show me in this situation and ask him that before you react with outrage and instead fight back with the love of God. Jesus, I love you and I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you that you don't respond to us with outrage. I thank you that you didn't respond with outrage while you were on this earth. Lord, that you followed the purpose and will of the Father all the way to the cross for each and every one of us because you love us, because you get us, because you understand us. 
because we're your favorite. Lord, you're walking through these circumstances and situations with us. So help us to lean to a place of spiritual maturity and not to a place of outrage. Help us to lean to a place of love and compassion, not rejection and pushing people aside or abandoning people that maybe we just feel like all hope is lost for that particular person or whatever that might be. Lord, you never give up on us as we sang about earlier. So help us to not give up on others either. Help us to not give up on the situation that's making us, that's fueling maybe some outrage that we have and to, to fight back with love. Father, I feel like there may be some people here that, that need to have a relationship with you. That maybe they've felt that outrage from, from others. Maybe they've even felt it from the church. Father, I pray that, that you would do a mighty thing in their life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would talk to them. I pray that if, if there's one here watching online that, that is maybe just on this journey of faith, just discovering who you are and what you're all about, Father, I pray that today may be a day that they take another step toward you and understanding your love for us and how you want us to be with you forever. And that you came to this earth so that we could. Father, I pray you would just continue to move in our lives this day. In Jesus' name, amen.